it is to be held captive by things that we've constructed all by ourselves. We've had habits, we've, we've had ways in which we've lived that have limited us. In many ways, we're being held captive by decisions that we've made. I think we all know what it is, and we all have these things in our lives that we often call bad habits. Bad habits. Roman poet Ovid said this, nothing is stronger than habit. Dr. Samuel Johnson, who compiled the first English dictionary, said it this way. He said, habits are chains that are too small to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. You know, really, there's nothing greater than a life that is filled with empowering, productive habits. There's nothing better than that. It seems like we're, at times, on cruise control when we, we have those healthy habits. And there's nothing more debilitating than living beneath the weight of habits that we know are limiting our life, our effectiveness, our joy. Bad habits, they cost us. They cost us time. They cost us money. They affect our moods, and you show me a guy who's running short on time, broke and moody, and that'll show, uh, I'll show you then a guy who has relationships that are struggling, all because of, of habits that are not what they should be or they could be. And uh, I do believe there are habits that are bad, and I've got some I'm thinking of in my life. I hope you'll join me in this study and be honest enough to see some in your own life. And, and I want to call these bad habits something for a moment, for a purpose, Let's just go ahead and call our bad habits sin. And, and the reason I say that, it's not to be flippant. It's certainly not to be judgmental. I've already shared with you. I'm, I'm writing this with everybody else. The reason I want to call our bad habits sin and label them with sin is because if sin is our problem, we already know there's a solution. His name is Jesus Christ. And through the power of Jesus, he can liberate us from things that would hold us captive. He's broken the chains. And, and we're going to have an opportunity to read a wonderful passage of Scripture here in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 9. And if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing. So good to see all of you here this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. If you're ready to receive the teaching, say amen. amen. All right. We're going to begin our reading in verse 1. The Bible says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old. And he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Now, I'm going to read on, but we know that David was not his father in a physical sense. This was a term to uh, say that David kind of was the pattern, the model, if you would. And so the Bible says he, he did right like his father, David. Uh, he did have a father, and I'm going to talk about his earthly father in a moment. The Bible goes on in verse 3 to say this, And he in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together in the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. And again, I'll read on. He told the priest that he wanted them and the temple to be a place that was sanctified. Now, the word sanctify literally just means to be set apart. And in this case, it means to be set apart unto God. And the idea of the word sanctify would imply here a cleaning, that, that they needed to make sure that their lives had been set apart from that which would hold them back from fully living for God so that they then could give themselves unto the Lord. Verse 6. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes 
of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister unto him and burn incense. Now, let's make our way down to verse 16 in the same chapter. 2 Chronicles 29 and verse 16. The Bible continues this way. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. Now they began on the first day of the month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And in the 16th day of the first month, they made an end. Then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and the showbread table with all the vessels thereof. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. I want you, if you would, to look back in verse 3 near where we began our reading, and I want you to just take note of that expression near the beginning where the Bible says, in the first year, in the first year. I want to talk to you today about defeating habits of defeat. Again, we all have habits that limit us. And I want to talk today from the Bible how we can defeat those habits. Let's ask the Lord to help us in this time. Our Father, we're very grateful that you are a God of love, a God that has provided liberty. And Lord, I pray that as we come to understand what you teach us through your word, that we would more and more enter into that and experience it in our lives. And we need you today in this study. And so we ask you to work in our hearts and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. <clears throat> To his team, legendary coach Vince Lombardi one time said, winning is a habit. He paused and then he said this, he said, unfortunately, so is losing. All of us can have habits in our lives and some of those habits can lead to great victories and some can lead to incredible defeats. People can have habits as that coach testified. Sometimes teams can have habits. We know families have habits and churches have habits and businesses have habits. And as was the case here in 2 Chronicles 29, sometimes complete nations can share in habits. When it comes to habits, we all have a choice. We know that. We can, we can choose to live in whichever way we would like. But we need to understand something about our habits. Many times, habits that we would even lose sight of because they just come a part of, become a part of how we do things, they're easily noticed by others. 
who observe what's happening in our lives, and then our habits can become influential to other people. There's a reason children often resemble their parents when it comes to the, to the, the personalities. And, and, and that's what was happening to the people of God. Some habits had crept into the land, and people were adopting them into their lives, and it had changed a nation that at one time was passionate for God to a nation that was far from God. Under the leadership of a king by the name of Ahaz, the nation had developed these, these terrible habits and it hurt them greatly. Worship of God was stopped. The temple was just closed down. False religions were welcomed into the land. We know that sin was on the rise. And of course, when sin is on the rise, holiness is on the decline. After King Ahaz concluded his 16-year reign, his son Hezekiah succeeded him. And man, the nation was in a mess. He, he really inherited a, a tough situation. They were living in defeat. Their enemies had, had made massive strides against them. And God, who was the source of their strength, had been incrementally pushed out of their society. And Hezekiah wisely understood that the way things were being done needed to be changed, and they needed to be changed quickly. And so for the next 29 years, he served as their king, and he was one of the really great kings that Judah had an opportunity to, uh, to have, and he made some political moves that were just incredible. Strategically, he outpaced the enemies that they had at that time. He embarked on some great building projects, but in many ways, it was how this king started that allowed him to upend the bad habits in the land that had led to a pattern of defeat. It had become habitual for them. And it was the way he began. And I believe he began the way he did because he understood that if they wanted to change the product they were, they were receiving, they needed to change their thinking. Their thinking that preceded it. And if they wanted to change that, they would have to understand that behavior is always going to lead to a result. And so this new king literally set about to change the way they collectively lived by replacing poor habits, bad habits, with good ones. And here's the Here's the end of the story. It worked. It worked. When they got rid of the bad habits and, and, and they incorporated the good ones, the nation began to change. And, and so with that bit of background in your mind, I want us to deal with this topic of today. How do, how do we defeat habits that lead to defeat? And if you have your outline nearby, here's the first thought I'd like to share with you. We must decide to change now. We must decide to change now. Now let's look again in verse 3. And in verse 3 of this passage, the Bible put it this way. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. You talk about the power of priority. Here's this young man taking over uh, the throne, and here he is in the very early days. The Bible is emphatic. He made a decision. A change needs to come, and it needs to come now. It needs to come now. And in essence, really, what we find here is a king who is taking note of what's wrong. But that's, that's not far enough. Many of us are good at noting what's wrong. But this king said, let's take it one step further and do something about those things that are wrong. So after watching these bad habits take over for the last 18 years, Hezekiah said, let's get to work. He didn't want to waste a moment. And it all started with a decision to deal honestly and promptly with the bad habits that were limiting the land. Uh, I don't uh, read psychology today often, but I was sent an article recently that quoted something from psychology today, and it caught my attention because I knew this was a subject I'd be talking to our church about, and it cited an article that was entitled, Steps to Breaking Bad Habits. 
And it listed, I think they had nine steps to breaking bad habits. It was actually a pretty helpful article. But listen, let me tell you what step number one was. For people that study the mind, let me tell you what step number one was when it comes to removing bad habits from your life. Here, here was their first step, decide to change. That's where it's got to begin. It's got to begin with an awareness on our part. You know, there's something in my life that is limiting me and it needs to change. And with Hezekiah, there was that added sense of it needs to change now. It needs to change right now. I remember when I was a boy, uh, I, I used to suck my thumb. Any other thumb suckers in here? None that'll admit it. Good. Thank you, guys. That it really helps me. And uh, I used to suck my thumb, which was a terrible thing to do. I don't know why I ever thought of that. A pretty unhygienic thing to do, you know, play in a sandbox, pet the dog, and any other gross thing a boy can think of to do. And then put my thumb in my mouth. It was a bad thing to do. And my parents would tell me, don't suck your thumb. And uh, I would still suck my thumb. And uh, I don't know what, what comfort I got from that, but I sucked my thumb. And I remember my dad, his, his, uh, his go-to uh, parenting way for motivating was the threat of physical violence. And so my dad told me, he said, if you don't stop sucking your thumb, I'm going to cut your thumb off. Actually, what he says, I'm going to cut your cockeyed thumb off. I don't know what that means, but that's what he said. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, without a thumb, it'd be hard to pick things up. And, and I was just sure he'd do it, but I thought it's worth it. I'm going to continue to suck my thumb. And uh, there was a little place, we had uh, stairs that went up a little bit, and then they turned them up the rest of the way. There was a little place I could hide under the stairs, and I would go hide and suck my thumb, because I was just sure Dad would cut my thumb off. They couldn't stop me. I remember one time my mom got this special stuff that they would paint on my thumb to make it taste nasty, and I thought, you know, if I suck on that thumb long enough, I'll suck all that bad stuff off, and, and uh, they weren't going to get me to stop sucking my thumb. And then one day I went to school. And I distinctly remember next to this yellow swing set standing there and I put my thumb in my mouth and some kids laughed at me and I made a decision in that moment. I will never again suck my thumb. <laughs> Everything that was being put in my life to shape my behavior was ineffective until at a point in time I made a decision. I'm not doing this anymore. I decided to change. How many of you would be honest enough to admit that there's just at least something in your life that would limit you from going further? Are any of you like that? The rest of you, your, your bad habit is self-deception, self I think, maybe, right? Uh, it could be anything from too much TV to this or that. On and on we go, these habits that limit us from, from reaching our potential in life. We, we all have those. And, and I want to share with you today, in love, now is the time to deal with that. What happens when we delay in dealing with these bad habits that lead to defeat is they dig in, they go deeper, they get entrenched, they, they become really a part of our lives to the point that it's more difficult to change the longer we go. So now is the time to deal with those areas in our lives. One of the saddest things in life is when we get discouraged and we just mail it in. We stop trying, we stop growing, we stop listening, we say things like, well, this is just how I am, and, and this is how I'm going to live my life, and we begin to settle in for something that is less than what God would have it to be. Solomon one time wrote these words, he said, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Friends, when God puts it on our heart to deal with a habit that, that is bad, a pattern that limits, and when we get hardened in that process, what we're doing essentially is surrendering to the good work that God wants to do in our lives. We're saying, you know, I'm good here. I'll stop here. And God is saying, no, but I've got so much more for you. And if you'll continue to grow, if you'll continue to grow, you'll continue to move forward. So Hezekiah comes on the scene and he says, you know, man, we've got to open up the temple. 
We've got to open up the temple. We, we've got to fix those doors. We've got to get the priest ready. And, and he knew that things had been habitually neglected. But, but he said, we're going to change all of that right now. And there's a lot to learn in that. But I want to point out that Hezekiah picked the right place to begin change. He dealt with the spiritual. He said, I'm just going to deal with the spiritual. He, he was saying, we've got a lot of things that need to change in this land. Therefore, we're going to start in that part of our lives where the power will come that will allow us in time to change the rest. You know, one habit that I would encourage every believer to have is a, is a habit of spending time with God in prayer and Bible reading, a, a habit of, of being a part of a church. And I know that in recent days, we've seen massive shifts. I'm a pastor, and forgive me, I study these things all the time. And, and uh, listen, it wasn't many years ago where of those who said they went to church... 75% of them would have been there every single week. And today, of those who say they go to church, only about half would, would be in church on any given Sunday. And, and there's an ironic twist. I don't have all the answers for this, but it, it, according to all the studies, the larger the church gets, the lower the percentages of people who say that's my church that actually go there on a weekly basis. And, and I believe that one of the great decisions we could make is to make sure that we have the habit in our lives of walking with God daily and fellowshipping with Christians uh, in, in our lives. And let, let me share with you a few reasons why I think it's so important that we are faithful to church. Number one, God told us to, okay? That should be the end. I mean, if you're going to have only one on a list, that's where the list would have to start. God told us as his children not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so God wants us to gather together around the word. Another reason, something special happens when we worship. I think of the words in Matthew that talks about where three or more are gathered, the Lord's there in the midst, and, and we know that things can happen in a church service that can help us greatly, and uh, it's wonderful to be a part of a church family. Here's another reason we really need each other. Uh, I want you to know that many of you, you've, you've put wind in the sails of my life more times than I can count. Many of you have helped me to be a better husband because of your influence, a better father because of your influence, a better friend because of your influence. And I would hope somebody could say something similar about me. God designed life in such a way where he wants us to do it together because we really need each other. And here's another reason. It helps us to know how and when to grow. You see, if you're a believer, the Bible says the Spirit of God resides on the inside of you. And if you come to church and you're a believer, God the Spirit, as the Word is preached and as the Word is taught and even as the Word is read, God the Spirit has a way of very lovingly putting His finger on the next issue in our life that He wants to deal with so that we can be fashioned and conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Guys, the church is a place where God wants to do a work through us. Now, I don't think it's coincidental at all that Hezekiah started with the doors that would in turn give the people access to worship with their God. That's not coincidental at all. That was a mark of wisdom. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, you know, it's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, it's God who helps us to know what his will is. That's what's right. He helps us to know that. And then it is God who helps us to do it. To do it. So if we want to get rid of habits that would hold us captive, that would limit us, man, we've got to decide to do that. And I would add to that, we need to decide now. Let me give you a second thought that we find in our passage. Number two this morning is we need to be thorough. We need to be thorough. As King Hezekiah gave instruction in verse 5, he said this. He said, hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of 
the holy place. Now, the Levites, they were the priests. They were the religious leaders. It's not a perfect comparison, but to bring it into an analogy we would understand today, it might be a way of saying they were like the, pastor, uh, the pastoral team of a church family. So they were the leaders. And Hezekiah comes to the leaders, and he says, all right, here's what I need you to do. I need you guys to make sure that you're right, that you're, you're wholly given over to God, and then I need you to make sure that the house of God is right. Get the filthiness out. Why did he say that? Because purity is important to God. He was saying if there's any filthiness left in the temple, the temple will still be filthy. Let's get it all out. Let's make sure it's clean. And that was great counsel. You know, when we are interested in spiritual cleanliness in our lives, we'll find that God will work through us in every other area as well. There's something about a heart that says, God, I just want my life to be clean before you. If there's anything in my life, God, that shouldn't be here, help me to make sure by your power I push that out so that I can be a vessel that is wholly yielded to you, that is sanctified for you. The Apostle Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and as he wrote to Timothy in this letter we call 2 Timothy, he, he said this, he said, Timothy, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Now, when he told Timothy, that, that uh, if a man purge himself from these, he just got done talking about a bunch of sin. And so he says, Timothy, let me help you with this, with this truth. He said, if somebody will get that out of their lives, what happens is they'll become a vessel unto honor. They'll become a clean vessel, if you would. He said a sanctified vessel, and he said they'll be meat for the master's use. That word meat means to be suitable. And Paul said, Timothy, don't ever forget this, that everyone has been made after the image of God, and everyone is suitable to serve God and to live for God. The limiting factor are those sins that would stop us from wholly giving ourselves to God. And he said, as you purge those, here's the good news. As you purge those sins, what's going to happen is you're going to find that a cleanliness emerges in your life that gives God the free reign to help you do everything, in, uh, everything else in life that God wants you to do. Uh, I did some uh, yard work not too long ago, and, and uh, I was in a hurry. And I used a weed eater to take the tops off a bunch of weeds, Okay. And none of you will be surprised to hear that in a very short period of time, those weeds all grew right back. Now, I knew at the time, but there's a better way to deal with weeds. It's to get them roots and all. It's to get down on all fours and just grab those dudes and pull them out of there and, and get rid of them. That's the better approach. I want to be very, very specific for a moment. Some of the habits we have that are negative that are costing us in life, that are limiting us in life, they're habits that we learned from other people. We learned them. In some cases, the habits are habitual and they are generational. We learned them from people who learned them from people. Those before us had habits that led to poor relationships, habits that led to addictions, and, and on and on I, I could go. We, we learned by example. There was something in the heart of Hezekiah that had this understanding. You know, I didn't have the best example coming along. I didn't have a great role model in my life. 
I didn't necessarily have, have someone I could look to in a leadership position that, that would say, this is the way to go, follow me. Hezekiah said, you know, I, I didn't have anything like that in my life growing up, but there was an understanding that, you know, if I stop this right now, there may be a better shot for those coming behind me. And I want to encourage the parents in this room today, wouldn't it be awesome if you defeated some of the issues that you inherited by way of observation and, and you defeated them so that those coming behind you would have a better shot? at living a great life than maybe you entered into? Oh, listen, Hezekiah said, there's a group coming behind us, and he really wanted to hand them a better nation than he had been handed when he took over. And there's something special about a person that says, you know something, there's more to it than just me. I'm being observed. I'm an example. I'm being an influence. Yes, the family and the friends and on the job and so forth. And as I choose to live a life that's pleasing to God, I'm letting my light shine. I'm being the salt that Jesus called me to be. I'm making a difference in my part of the world. So we've got to make that decision to change. Now, we've got to be thorough. And there's a third element we'll discuss this morning. We have to replace the old with the new. Replace the old with the new. Now, we're going to do a little bit of uh, uh, hopscotch, biblically speaking. I want to dance through this chapter a little bit to uh, kind of lead us to a place where a point can be made. And so I want you, if you would, to go back to verse 1 in, in this uh, book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 29. Let's go back to verse 1. And uh, I want to read through here and, and point something out. So back in, in the beginning of this text, we read this. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old, and he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now, in verse 1, we read that he reigned 29 years, all right? And, and we've already seen that in verse 3, when, when we read there, uh, that, that he started to work immediately. And the Bible says he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repair them. So we've taken some time to look at 1 and 3, but I want you to notice in verse 2 that we find a Holy Spirit-inspired synopsis of the life of this king. God says, let, let me tell you in, in a few number of words about King Hezekiah. And he said it this way, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So we have a, a son who's now the king. And the Bible says, let me tell you about his life. He did what was right in the sight of God. And that's different because the Bible says there were many times where people did that which was right in their own eyes. And Hezekiah chose, you know, I want to do what's right in God's eyes. And so let's look at Hezekiah for son for a moment. Now, now I want us to turn our Bible back just one chapter to, uh, to chapter 28. Chapter 28. 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Now I want us to look in verse 1. And the reason I'm going back to that verse is that's the verse that tells us about the reign that his father had. His father. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 1, the Bible says Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Now here's what God says about Hezekiah's father Ahaz. He said this, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. Here's the point. Hezekiah entered into a situation that was dysfunctional. He entered into a situation that was absent of, of a, a great example. There were bad things that were in the land. And so Hezekiah said, you know, I need to get the bad out. And, and the Bible tells us that Hezekiah then began to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And I want you to understand today, it's not enough to remove the bad in our life, the bad habits. We have to replace them 
with good ones. A well-known voice in history by the name of Thomas Kempis one time said this. He said, habit overcomes habit. Habit overcomes habit. There, there's a reason that that name Thomas Kempis has, has been known and his quotes are widely circulated today. It's because he had a way of putting things. And friends, habit overcomes habit. To defeat a bad habit, you need to replace it with a good habit. I love the way David in Psalm 40 said this. He said of the Lord, he said, He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Let me tell you, you can't get a new song if you didn't have an old song. There's a change going on. God was replacing an old thing with a new thing. There was a work of replacement that God was doing. To take it even further, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen, God says this, all things are become new. God specializes in replacing the old with the new. Many times God's way ahead of us in terms of the provision. He's already made a way for us to enjoy the victory in Him. But we have to enter into that by faith. The writer of Hebrews one time wrote these words. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Powerful words. Those five English words, which doth so easily beset. So he's talking about sins and weights, and today I'll say bad habits. And then he says, which doth so easily beset. Those five English words come really from just one Greek word. And the one word that that comes from, it, it means to be ensnared or to be trapped. But, but more than that, it, it spoke of a very specific way of, of being trapped. It dealt with a method of, of, of encircling a prey on all sides. And, and the idea is this, if you would encircle that prey, there would be no way of escape, there would be no way out, that would be the way to conquer that particular prey. And today I'm telling you that with Jesus, there's always a way out. There's always a way out. We have to understand that. We have to identify those areas in our life that are holding us back, those time wasters, those money, uh, needless money expenses, those mood changers. Listen, we've got to analyze our life at all times and say, God, I don't want to be where I'm going. I want to be growing. Lord, what is it in my life today? What is it in my life right now that you'd like to move aside and replace with something better? Years ago, I had an opportunity to visit Africa and while I was there, we were staying at the home of, of a man that uh, had a, a business of taking people on safari and these kinds of things, and uh, it was a lot of fun for me to uh, watch all the animals and, and to see them in their natural habitat. I remember watching uh, the impalas, you know, and I'd watch them through the optics there, you know, sometimes like this, other times like this, but I was watching, and, and those animals were something else. And, you know, an impala can jump 10 feet high. It's amazing. I mean, when you watch them out there, when there's a bunch of them, it looks like a flock of birds, just the way they all turn seamlessly. It's unbelievable. Ten feet high, they can jump. They can cover a space of 30 feet long. But you know, when you go to the zoo and you see an impala, they're really separated by walls that are typically about three feet high, but they put them in such a way that the impala can't see where his feet will land. And there's something in the mind of an impala that if they don't, if they don't have the ability to see exactly where their feet will land, they're not going to jump. And so a barrier that is easily overcome keeps them from going where they'd like to go. Something that could easily conquer holds them back, keeps them captive. 
Friends, I want you to know that bad habits will beset us, to use the words we read in Hebrews. They don't have to best us. We can overcome them. We can conquer them. As I, as I began this morning, I made the point of calling bad habits sin, and I did that to share with you that for sin, there's a remedy. And the remedy is Jesus Christ. He meets our need. In Paul's letter to the Romans, we read in Romans chapter 6, but God be thanked that you were, some, that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin. Ye became servants, the servants, he says, of righteousness. Friends, because Jesus broke the chains of sin, we can have liberty, we can have freedom. I know spiritually, if you're a believer, we're forgiven of all the consequence of our sin, but practically as we go through life, we have the opportunity as we yield, as we sanctify our lives to God, we have the opportunity to see growth, improvement. He can take us places that we may think we could never go. Today, I'm telling you this, please don't hide behind a three-foot wall that would prohibit your marriage from being all God would have it to be. Don't hide behind a three-foot wall that would let you be the father or the influencer or the entrepreneur or whatever it is. Don't hide behind that wall and say, well, this is just how I am. This is as far as I've come. I'm going no further. Why don't you be the kind of Christian that could say, God, by your grace, can you help me by your power? God, I want to decide right now. God, I'm going to be thorough. I know I've got to get the bad out before I can welcome this new habit in to replace the old one. Listen, why don't we have that heart of optimism that says, Jesus, not because of me, but because of you, who you are and what you've done, I want to move forward in every aspect of my life. What a sadder thought uh, it is, I can't imagine, but a sad thought would be for a Christian to come to the end of life and look back and see all the victories that could have been and should have been. But because of a habit, we stood behind that three-foot wall and just looked at it rather than jumping into it. Our Father, we're thankful that you're a God 